Hello and welcome to the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. Today I'm going to walk through reading a passage from Old Testament law. It's not something that we necessarily do very often or think through, but I just want to walk through a difficult passage to show you how you can find the wisdom of God in hidden places, as well as to um, kind of resist a cultural arrogance we can have towards the Old Testament, either because it's old and we live in the New Testament, or because it's old and we're, you know, modern man and we know what's up and we know um, everything. So I want to just walk through um, a passage from Deuteronomy 21, and it's um, a passage that has to do with what do you do if you've gone to war and you've won the war and there's um, women who have survived the battle, um, how do you treat them? And so this is what Moses said to Israel. He said, when you go to war against your enemies and the Lord your God gives them into your hand and you take them captive and you see among the captives a beautiful woman and you desire to take her to be your wife and you bring her into your house, she shall shave her head and pare her nails and she shall take off the clothes in which she was captured and remain in your house and lament her father and her mother for a full month. After that, you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. But if you no longer delight in her, you shall let her go where she wants, but you shall not sell her for money, nor shall you treat her as a slave, since you have humiliated her. Now there's a lot of stuff in here which, um, for modern sensibilities, for for, you know, North American sensibilities is just offensive, you know, the idea of taking a wife from among captives, and the shaving of the head, and letting her go if you don't delight in her. You know, there's a lot that we could judge. And in one sense, rightly so. This passage is not meant to be God's ideal of a relationship between a man and a woman or a husband and a wife. It's not. It's just not supposed to be the ideal. And so what we can see is, um, if you read all of Scripture, is that the ideal is shown in um, Genesis chapter 2, I think it is at the end, when... um, Adam and Eve are presented together, and we have that passage about the two of them being one flesh, and it's a joyful celebration, and God is involved giving it. That's kind of the ideal, and we know this because in Jesus's day, when people were fighting about divorce and trying to test Jesus by asking him questions about divorce, he he doesn't say, Moses's teaching on divorce is God's ideal. He says, go back to the garden, and it was meant to be a man and a woman in a lifelong covenant relationship, being one flesh. This was God's ideal. And so how I'm starting to read this is my expectation is not that every single passage that has to do with men and women is going to capture God's ideal. It's the same way that when you're driving down the road and there's a speed sign that says 100 kilometers an hour, that isn't necessarily meant to be the ideal of how to drive your car. It doesn't talk about shoulder checking when you change lanes. It doesn't talk about not being distracted when you're texting. It's just a limit that's supposed to keep you from being really crazy. And if all of a sudden a big blizzard blows in, um, that 100 kilometers an hour isn't the wise thing to do. And so in one sense, that 100 kilometers an hour is just to keep people from doing going too crazy. And in another sense, it's a reminder that you're supposed to drive safely. And so you can use your wisdom and your experience to drive safer than driving 100 kilometers an hour on the road. And so as we read, um, you know, Old Testament laws, we need to remember both these things. There is wisdom from God in here, but it isn't always trying to just give an ideal. 
Now, we could also say, you know what, I'm never going to go to war, and I'm never going to be in this situation, so this doesn't apply to me. But um, the Old Testament laws are work as case law. They give you a case, and then they explain how to respond to it, and you're supposed to take the lessons learned there to apply to every situation. Um, it really is not possible to write a law that would connect with every single situation in life. And so you take one example, and you try to use the wisdom from that to apply it to other different situations. And so in one sense, we can actually still learn about um, God's wisdom for a marriage, even from this situation. Okay. And so this is kind of what I want to do. I want to see, is, is there anything we can pick up from here, which is good. So um, number one, I think that we can really pick up from this is that men are meant to care about the hearts of their wives. Okay, what I mean by this is, uh, is this, you've got this situation where the men of Israel have won a battle, and in one sense, all the captives are completely at the power of the victors. They've, they've lost, they've got no defense, nothing. The only thing standing in between the women who have been captured and the worst that a man can do is the law of God, is the presence of God, is the fear of God. And so the first thing that God wants the Israelites who see a woman that they think is beautiful to think is, number one, um, I need to care about who she is. And so that's why God says, if you're going to marry her or you do marry her, she gets one whole month to grieve. So he acknowledges that there is grieving. He acknowledges that she's hurting. She acknowledge, they acknowledge that this is not the ideal life, but he places a boundary and he says, you won't go into her and force a, something on her until she's had time to grieve, until she's had time to acclimate. And again, I'm not saying that this is the best thing ever, but you can see that there is, God is saying, look, she is a person first and you need to take care the fact that she's grieving relationships. So you just leave her alone. Now, there is some more um, symbolic stuff going on. She shaves her head not to ridicule her, or and she pairs her fingernails. And it's symbolically saying, you know, your life of being a uh, pagan is over because you're getting joined into the people of God. And so there's kind of this um, shaving of head, and it's a change of season. And the same thing happens with a Nazarite vow. When you're done your vow, you're supposed to shave off all your stuff and start again. It's 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 actually an act of being devoted to the Lord is to shave yourself and then to change your clothes and then to start off. And so here again, if we read it, um, the God of Israel is saying, I will accept this foreign woman as part of my people if you marry her. She has to go through this um, being purified to God process, but that's going to be part of it. So she gets to grieve and God um, is going to accept her as the people of God. So God is saying, you don't get to treat her as a foreigner forever. You don't get to like just always remind her that you know she was captured because I have given her a process of getting purified into the people of God. So you need to treat her as a real wife. Another thing, you know, I could have mentioned this first. Another thing is that what this law does is it it stops um, weaponized sexuality. It stops um, war rape. Because what is going on here is he's saying, you know, if you want to become one flesh with any of these women, your only option is for her to become your wife. 
Okay, and he even says you're not to treat her as a slave. You're not to to treat her as a slave. You don't get to sell her to other people. Israel, your only option for the women who are survivors is that they become your wife or you leave them alone physically. And so again, this is not necessarily the ideal. It isn't the ideal, but it's a powerful boundary that's meant to teach. Okay, you don't just enslave them. So I think there's even more that we can learn from this. Okay, so let's just put aside any feeling like this is just barbarism. And let's think about our own culture. In North America, every week, perhaps even every day, tens of millions of people will use technology, will use the computers to use pornography, and they will gobble up men and women for sexual pleasure, essentially. And so um, how could this wisdom apply to us? Well, through this passage, God is saying to his people, uh, especially the men, there's only one option for you. You either take them as your wife or you leave them alone. Because if there was a situation where a woman was vulnerable to just being taken uh, with no rights, it would be if she is the captive after a war. But he's, God's saying, even in that situation, you have to treat her as a wife or leave her alone. And so we can look at the pornography use that's rampant in our culture and say, look, those women and those men and women, they're either your spouse or you leave them alone. All right. You don't, you can't just say nothing's happening. You can't just say, well, it's just a picture. You can't just say it's a video. It's, it's either they're your wife or your husband and you leave them or you leave them alone. All right. The other thing that for our current situation is, um, we can often see people in pictures, sexualized pictures, sexualized videos and absorb it and never think that there's actually a real person with probably a hugely painful past there. Okay. So there, I, w- I was told this story of uh, there's a ministry in Las Vegas that ministers to strippers. And one of the things that they found is that most of them are survivors of childhood sexual abuse and usually from a family member. So there's this culture amongst the strippers where they'll say, you know, who was your first? You know, it was my uncle. It was my brother. It was my dad. And so um, there And for the people who are involved in the pornography industry, there's so much drug abuse, there's so much alcoholism, there's so much just um, perversion of life. I'm not just mean what they do, but like these are broken, broken people. And so even from that lesson about God saying, let them grieve for a month, uh, take care of their hearts first, what he's saying to us is, hey, even with pictures of even women who have been willing to have the pictures taken of them, you need to think there is a broken soul behind these photographs and behind these images. And God says, I need to see them healed first before I do take them for my pleasure. And I know that Jesus says, don't even lust after them. But but can you see that in Deuteronomy, God is teaching the entire Israelite army, He's saying, these women need to grieve before they become your wives. And can you see how you could take that principle, that wisdom, and say, um, every person who is exposed to sexual power to be taken advantage of, you need to see them as broken first before you seize them, before you use them. All right, so I'm, what I'm saying is that even in Deuteronomy, it's still people. And we can see lessons for how you treat people, how you treat husbands, treat wives, and all this stuff. And even, so let's even take it, let's take this to a healthy Christian marriage, okay? The men of 
God are still being taught that it's hearts first before bodies with wives. Hearts before bodies. Before you go into your wife, is she grieving? Is she hurting? Is she um, having a hard time transitioning? Is she in pain? Is she in doubt? How's your relationship? All right, so there's wisdom in here. Now, let me also just try to back things up a little bit because we can just look at the situation and say, this is just so far from, from the ideal. Again, what we would consider the ideal. And you're probably right. But um, if you go through scripture and think about what a woman's experience would have been like in marriage, um, you think about the story of Samson where that young woman is given to Samson and then when Samson storms off in a huff, she's given to the best man, like right away. Um, if you think about, um, the, you know, with Leah and uh, Rachel, how Leah was thrown into Jacob's wedding chamber and just handed in there. And and how um, very often the women just, yeah, were really dishonored when it came to marriage, or that's just not what they were looking for in marriage, romance, um, hearts taken care of, soulmates, all that stuff. It, there was lots of other factors going on. What I mean is this, for a woman who was taken captive, that may be the first time ever she has met a man who will have self-restraint with her. Think about it for her to come into a house and with all the trauma that's going on to have somebody say, look, God says, I'm going to respect your morning time before anything happens. That may have actually been the first time that that ancient Near Eastern woman had ever had anybody say, I'm going to respect your morning. All right. So not ideal, not saying it's the best, but look at what's actually going on here. The God of the Bible is placing boundaries for respect, for taking care of this woman, even in a situation where as a captive, she should have no rights. And then the, the, the ending even says, you know, if you are going to get rid of her, you still need to treat her like she was your wife. You don't treat her like a slave. You don't sell her for money. And remember that you've humiliated her. So yet God acknowledges that if the relationship breaks down, and there's kind of a warning in there, you know, starting off a marriage like this is not of good foundation, there's a great chance it's just going to blow up in your face and she'll never be able to heal and you'll never be able to treat her with respect and it will just blow up. There's a warning in there. If it does blow up, the onus is on the Israelite male to make sure that she gets treated honorably. She can go wherever she wants to. She's not meant to be abused. And the Israelite male is called to remember that he has humiliated her, that he's wronged her. And so there's meant to be for him and even for the whole community a remembrance that she's been wronged in this, she's been humiliated in this, and there needs to be boundaries so that she's not too mistreated. All right, so again, I'm not saying it's ideal, but what I am saying is that if we take off our pride and take off our arrogance, we can actually see things going on in these laws that have a lot to teach us. And so I share these thoughts with you. And you're welcome to think them through yourselves. And I hope that you will see the wisdom of God in Scripture. The wisdom of God is very interesting. God kind of hides his treasures just below the surface so that if someone wants to just casually read over it, they don't get anything. But if you'll take the time to think things through, there is a lot of oil underneath these prairies. Be blessed.